It's an honor, it's a privilege, and it's a blessing to be here at iShare with you guys. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit of my personal testimony with you, how the Lord has led me to escape death and how he's brought me to be here standing in front of you today. Um, I'd like to start to just tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in Houston, Texas. I was uh, born in a, in a struggling middle-class family out in Houston. My dad's a CPA. My mom's an Adventist school teacher. They were very loving and very devout Christians. Um, I've, I've got some great experiences that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. And now that the doors are closed, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for bringing each of us here today. I ask that you would humble me, Lord, and allow me to share my experiences in a way that might touch somebody in this room. We thank you for giving each of us life. We've learned this morning that it's a miracle that each of us are alive and living on this planet. We thank you for that, Father, and we ask that you would be with us and help us to continue to live and follow your steps. Pray in your name. Amen. We'll start with a story. It was April 3rd, 2006, and it was a warm and humid spring evening in Houston, Texas. All that could be heard was the whirring of birds and some cars driving by on, the, on a small road. And as it was, as the night got later and later, it was just after dusk, then you heard it. Bam! It was a heart sinking sound of bone crushing metal against metal and all of a sudden metal scraping against pavement a young boy was crossing the street on a motorcycle and a car was coming it was a dodge durango traveling at 45 miles an hour the woman did not have her lights on so the boy couldn't see the car and the car couldn't see the boy he was his leg was shattered on impact and as he broke and went up onto the hood the motorcycle went underneath the car and his leg followed. The woman was so scared that she stepped on the gas and went forward, dragging this motorcycle, creating sparks showering all over the car. The boy was riding on the hood, and as the road began to curve, she drove off into a ditch, and the body slid off the hood and landed on the road in a pool of his own blood, unconscious and convulsing. There is where the Lord reached down and saved his life. I want to tell you that I was that boy, and the Life Flight helicopter took me to the hospital in downtown Houston, Texas. That night, from blood loss, from a mangled foot hanging off by a piece of meat, I flatlined on the table three times. Once the doctors were able to stabilize me and pump blood back into me, shock me back to life, they went out and saw my, my sobbing parents outside the operating room, and they said, we're sorry to tell you, but he's alive, but we're going to have to amputate his leg. It's too bad, and we won't be able to save it. And my parents begged these doctors. They said, please, he's only 15 years old. He's got such a long life ahead of him. What can you do, doctors? Please, we're praying. We believe that God can give you the strength to, to make a difference. And they came back and said, we think we'll be able to save the leg, but we'll have to fuse it at the knee and at the ankle. And my parents cried and they begged and they said, please doctors, we, we know you can do it, please. We're praying out here. They went back in, continued to operate, and they came out with the great news and said, we were able to piece everything together, do reconstructive surgery, and we think he'll be all right. 
He needs to be on bed rest for several months, but he will be all right. As a 15-year-old, this was a, a major disaster in my life, especially considering the circumstances right before. At age 15, my passion was motocross racing, and I had just been accepted onto the best motocross race team in the Houston area. We had sponsors for everything. We had an 18-wheeler that took us to the tracks and we would ride out of. I had a good-looking girlfriend. I was on top of the world and as far as a 15-year-old's life was concerned. And then in just an instant, it was completely turned upside down, and I was left struggling to survive. Through that time, the Lord really helped me. He guided me, and through the mental breakdowns and through struggling to survive, he taught me that, that he was there looking out for me and that he would always provide a way out. It was, it was about a year before I began to walk and to run and began, began to be active again. And at that time, I returned to racing, and I thought that I could do this, and I could make it back, and I would be the comeback king. And it was a Friday before a race on Sunday, and I went out for a one last lap to check out the track, and, and you should never go for one last lap. You're tired, it's at the end of the day, and you push yourself a little too hard. I fell over, and when I got up, my leg was broken again and I couldn't walk on it. And so I, I called my doctor and he, he, he cursed me out on the phone and said that this would be so difficult for him to fix. But I went to the hospital and after, after a night of surgery, he was able to remove the broken rods, replace it with a new rod and fix my leg. I spent about 10 weeks recovering and when I went back to the doctor for my very last checkup, he said, Ethan, I've got good news and I've got bad news. He said, the good news is that your leg is healed. And I said, oh, great. I'm running and walking, working out. What's the bad news? And he said, it's, it's crooked. It's 13 degrees off, so we'll have to re-break it once more. And I said, doctor, come on. I've, I've been through so much. I, I don't want to do this again. And he said, Ethan, if you're an old man and you just wanted to walk, that would be okay. He said, but you're a young man. You're a young athlete. We need to re-break it so it's straight and you won't have back problems later in life. So he rebroke my leg and I went through another two months of, of recovering. And throughout that time, I wondered, why, why me, Lord, why me? As if I was, as if I was dying. It wasn't that bad looking back, but as a, young, as a young man, I thought that it was the end of the world. And I look back and I, I'm happy I went through that. I, I think of a verse it's uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's one of my favorites. And the Lord says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And if I want to read you something that the Patriarchs and Prophets says about this same verse. This is uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 129. It says, God permits trials to assail his people, that by their constancy and obedience, they themselves may be spiritually enriched, that their example may be a source of strength to others. The very trials that task our faith most severely and make it seem that God has forsaken us are to lead us closer to Christ, that we may lay all our burdens at his feet and experience the peace which he will give us in exchange. I find it interesting that the Lord permits his people to go through trials as he permitted me to go through a trial. 
He's permitted several people in the Bible to go through trials. But in those dark times when we come out, it is the strength that we've shown by relying on the Lord that will bring others to want to follow Christ. I want to tell you guys another story about my life. It was a bit of a trial, and it was also one of the most important times in my life in which I learned the most. I was in school. I was a sophomore in college. My first year I had gone to La Sierra University, and I was studying business. I was very motivated and, and doing everything I could to learn about business. I was reading every business book I could find. I quit my job and started my own business. And after my freshman year, I started to feel that the Lord was calling me to do something different. And so I started to pray. I said, Dear Lord, what is it that you want from me? Where would you like me to go, and how can I live according to your will? And the school year started again, and I was enrolled in school, and I still was feeling the same, the same itch. I said, Lord, I want to do something for you, something different than just studying for myself. And at that time I was praying, I got a phone call that's from my grandfather, and he said, Ethan, I'm going to India on a mission trip. I'll be there for one month with Maranatha, and I'd like you to come with me. And I said, you know what? I'm in school, but I am just, I am just dying here, and I need something, a way to experience God in a new light. And so I, I left school, and I went to India, and I remember being on the airplane. We were on a 15-hour flight over to India from Houston, Texas. And I remember I got out my journal, and... I couldn't understand the language people were speaking. It smelled funny on the plane, and I just thought, what am I doing here? I just left college. I'm a college dropout, and I'm going out to India. I don't know what to expect. And I remember I wrote in my journal, I said, you know what, Lord, I don't know what you have planned for me, but maybe it'll be a time that I can grow and experience something new for you. We got to India, and we, we built uh, four one-day churches with Maranatha. It was a a real blessing to be a part of those construction teams and working in those small villages. I remember seeing women with waists this big around. Their skin was black because they worked in the fields every day and were burnt by the sun. Their hands were so thick and callous that I don't think I could have cut them with a knife. I had seen poverty for the very first time in my life. I had seen poorness in the United States, but this was no comparison. And I remember these, these women that worked in the fields, they would get up at sunrise and work till sundown, all to make $1.50 a day. Yet when they, when they welcomed me into their small huts, and I took up more than half of their entire living space, they smiled at me with their five teeth that were all brown and rotted, and bowed and said, do you like it? And I told them, yes, I do. I, I'm very, very honored to be in your home. And I remember... After a while, I started to question. I said, Lord, why do, you, why do they have so little, and why do I have so much? And I never quite found an answer to that question. But I realized that because that I am blessed with so much in the United States, access to universities, there's paved roads, there's transportation to take us anywhere we want to go, our passports can get us anywhere. I said, Lord, I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity you offer me to better myself and to reach out and help others. And it was like, looking back, I, I think that the Lord was, 
was offering me a way out of my own selfishness to see the real need in the world, to see what other people need. The trip to India led, led me to be invited on another trip with Maranatha to Zimbabwe, Africa. So shortly after, I was on another plane flying out to Africa, building school buildings out there. We built a campus of 57 one-day schools, and again, I saw a different brand of poverty. The same thing, people working in fields, harvesting crops, and very impoverished, yet they were happy, they were joyous. I couldn't believe it, but I was happy that I was getting to help out in some way, however small it might have felt at the time. When I, when I got back from those trips, I was changed and something just felt different. And I started questioning. I said, dear Lord, is it school that I need? Is it, is it business that I really need? Or would you like me to help people in some way? And the Lord gave me an opportunity to go back to La Sierra to study, but to get involved with an organization where we did microfinancing projects in the in the country of India, in the southern states, where we helped these women that were, that were working in the fields uh, buy milk cows and quadruple their monthly income on a low interest 0.001% loan that they paid back over one and a half years. The Lord led me to opportunities to help women on welfare in Riverside County, California. We, we created a training program that had as a six weeks module that we taught them how to open their very own child care businesses in their home. We helped them get licensing from the state and from the city. 700 women came through our programs. 33% of them started their very own child care businesses, and those businesses generated $13 million in income over three years. It was an exciting thing to be a part of, realizing that, Lord, while I'm learning as much as I can, studying as hard as I can in business, you are offering me ways to give back right now. I don't have to be a big shot. I don't have to be somebody important or special, but you can use me just the way I am to do your work. And it was a real blessing. I, I remember during that time, I started to pray and I said, Lord, I, I want to get to know you more. I'm, I'm looking for a sign. And, and shortly after that prayer, I got news that one of my friends, a uh, 20-year-old guy at Walla Walla, had died in his sleep. And I said, oh my goodness, how could this guy die in his sleep? He was so healthy, and he was so wonderful, and he was such a good guy. We never saw him mad. We never saw him upset with anybody. He was just always so nice and happy. And I went up to, to see his funeral in, in uh, Colorado with some friends, and we all started talking. We said, how could this happen to such a good guy, our great friend, who was with us and who was so happy and so full of life and such a good Christian, how could someone like him pass away? We just did not understand. We talked about it, and some of my friends said, as we've been in college, there's been some things that we've done that, that aren't so good. We've started getting into drugs, or we've been doing things that just, just make us look back on life and realize it's fragile. So we want to change our ways. And I started to think, oh, I wanted to change my ways. And we were questioning. We said, how can we really make, make a change in our lives? And there was a pastor that came to speak on a Friday night. And he stood up front, and he got a, a big bucket full of water. It was half full, and he asked a volunteer to come up to the front of the stage 
and drop a little drop of water into the bucket. And he asked the volunteer, he said, I'd like you to tell us, what did that one drop of water do to this big bucket of water? And the volunteer says, oh, well, not much. It was barely a ripple. And the pastor says, I want each of you in this room to think of yourselves as a small drop of water in this big bucket of a world. He said, can any of you even make a ripple? And I thought, wow, this pastor is harsh. He's making us feel very bad about ourselves. And then the pastor comes back and he says, now I want you guys to imagine that this bucket is completely filled to the brim full of water. And then you drop that one drop of water into the bucket. What happens? He said, that causes the bucket to overflow. He said, this is what we call the tipping point. And the pastor went on to make, to make several examples of other ways that you can have a tipping point. He said, Rosa Parks, she said that she wasn't going to sit in the back of the bus. There were other people before her, but we didn't hear about them. But for whatever reason, when Rosa Parks said she wasn't going to the back of the bus, society, the stars were aligned, society was ready, and Rosa Parks became a tipping point. Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War and his declaration became a tipping point. And he went on and on and on. And he started to lose me. And then at the end, he said, he said, I know there's been a death for a lot of you, and you're close to, close to this guy who passed away, a young man. And he said, I want you all to think that he is the tipping point. And I started to think, and I started to question, I started to wonder. I said, what does that mean? How can he be the tipping point? And I started to think about all of the conversations I had had with my friends about ways that each of us wanted to change our lives because life was so fragile. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. Maybe, maybe we could be a tipping point that way. And then I started to, to call all of my friends and ask them questions and started to share with them that, that this was a tipping point and I needed to find out why. And as we talked, they said, why did such a good person have to die? And somebody, somebody made the point. They said, well, Ethan, if it wasn't such a good man that passed away, maybe it wouldn't have had the same effect on us. Maybe it wouldn't have meant as much. I said, wait, so you mean somebody really, really good had to die just to get our attention while we've been sinning and we've been stupid and we've been living these crazy lives? I said, that is a story that I think I've heard before. I said, that sounds just like the story of Jesus, except Jesus wasn't just a good person, a good friend that wasn't mad at people. Jesus was the Son of God, and Jesus died for all of us. And that was such a big revelation to me. I started to cry when I realized that. I said, this means so much to me now that the Lord Jesus died for each of us, and it was someone so good and so beautiful that had to pass away to get our attention because we're too involved in our own lives, we're too wrapped up in sin to understand the, the key messages that he needs to teach us. Looking back on all those times, going to India, going to Africa, then a funeral, then questioning all of our friends and coming to that realization, I look back and I say, you know what, Lord, you had a plan. You were guiding me and you were leading me to find these things so that I could share them. And I go back to the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I think that's beautiful because it offers us 
a promise. When we're going through those struggles and those hard times, the Lord has promised to all of his people that he will provide us plans and give us hope for a future. I have another story I'd like to share, and this is about this year in my life. So I came to senior year in college this past year. I was a management and finance major, and I very much wanted to find a job, the proverbial job search. It's so hard. It's so mystical. What do you have to do to get hired? I went on all these websites. I was on LinkedIn, connecting with professionals, making phone calls, sending emails, and I was just striking out. I don't don't think I was striking out, but it was taking so long, and I just said, I want to know my future now. Why can't I figure it out? During that time, Maranatha called me, and they said, Ethan, we want you to lead our collegiate mission project this summer. We know that you're a responsible young man. We know that you've led projects to India. You've led other projects that are very entrepreneurial. We think you can handle this. You can manage the budget. You You can do well on this mission project. And I told them, I said, oh, I'm in the middle of a job search. I don't know if I can answer God's call while I'm in the middle of a job search. I said, there might be important people calling my cell phone, and if I'm out of the country, what's going to happen? It probably just would have gone to voicemail, and then I could have called them back. But my mindset was, I don't know that I can commit to the Lord right now. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, I'm just not sure about this. I know that you've rewarded me in the past when I've gone out and done your work, but maybe you won't this time. And I don't know if I'm willing to take that risk, Lord. I ended up praying and praying, and I just felt the conviction. I said, you know what? Going back to that time in India, I know when the Lord gives me opportunities, I need to accept them. Because other people don't have these opportunities. And I always want to give back. So I said, okay, Maranatha, I'm going to lead this mission project for you. And then I'm going to figure out the job search later. And it was the Sabbath right before we left on this mission trip. I still had no job. I still was prospectless. And we had, we had a Sabbath school where we were studying Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And we were talking about God being a rewarding God that rewards his people who step out in faith. And the story was about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had refused to bow down in front of King Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And in verse 17, King Nebuchadnezzar asked them, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the punishment for not bowing down to this image. If you knew that the the punishment was to be thrown in this fiery furnace, why would you still not bow down? And they say, King, we know that our God will deliver us from the flames. We know that he will deliver us from the furnace. That went along with our talk of God being a rewarding God. But verse 18 is what blew me away. They said next, even if not, we will still never bow down to your gods. Even if the Lord does not reward us and save us from the flames, we still will not bow down to your gods. And I started to think, I said, you know what, Lord? All my life, I have lived on a fake faith. I have lived saying, Lord, if I choose this lifestyle instead of this other lifestyle, you will reward me later. Lord, if I, if I turn down this job because I don't think it's right and I choose this one for you, you'll reward me later. Dear Lord, if I don't end up with this girl and I choose this other girl because I think it's better, you'll reward me later. And I had to, I had to stop and think. 
Lord, even if you stopped rewarding me, would I be faithful? Would I be faithful like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And so I started to pray, and I said, Lord, I'm leading this mission trip. I'm in the middle of a job search. Even if you don't provide me with something, even if I'm jobless for the next three years, I'm still going to follow you, and I'm still going to do your work. And if you continue providing me opportunities, I'm going to keep answering. And I don't know where the path will lead, and I'm scared, Father, but I'm going to lead. We went to the Dominican Republic just a month ago. We were there from... um, Cheyenne, when was it? July 11 to... Yeah, July 11 through the 21st or something like that. It was about 11 days. We had 40 college-age kids from 18 to 25 show up from all over the United States and even a girl from Brazil. We built a a one-day school building. We built two one-day churches. We did VBS with hundreds of these little Dominican kids. And we were able to go out into the villages, passing out Spanish Bibles, having prayer with families, giving out toothbrushes, toothpaste, teaching them about their hygiene. And I always tell people, as missionaries, I feel a little bit selfish. We do do some good in those villages. We do do some good by building churches and schools. But I always see the volunteers in each group are so blessed and so changed. And they come back with a new perspective on life. And that happened. I heard about 11 different people in the Dominican Republic that were leaving this trip say, we're never going to be the same. We've seen things that make us think so differently about what we have and about what the Lord's given us. Two people were baptized in our group, and it was such a blessing to be a part of. And now what I want to share with you is that I prayed the prayer saying, Lord, even if you don't give me anything, I will still serve you. Two days before the trip ended, I got a call from my top choice company saying, Ethan, are you still interested in this position? And I emailed back, absolutely. And they said, well, we're interviewing on the 31st. And I said, oh, my flight out's on the 30th. And they said, great, reroute to New York City and we'll pay for everything. We'll set you up in a hotel. You come in for interviews and then we'll fly you back home. And I I stopped and I thought, dear Lord, I know this doesn't mean I have a job, but it signifies to me that when I do your work, you will offer me something in return. You won't leave me out to dry. You won't leave me stranded. I flew out. I interviewed with six people. And now they've, they've told me that there's 185 that applied for four positions. Now they've selected their four and would like us to take one test. And if we pass the test, we have the job. So on Thursday, I'll be going out to take a test and hopefully then starting a career in finance in New York City and figuring out how to make that fit in with serving the Lord as well. But it's, it's been a blessing, and I was also able to come here and be with you guys and share. And it just brings me back once more to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, how the Lord always says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. When we step out in faith, the Lord takes care of us. It's nice to pray, even if not, Lord, we will still do your work. But what I've learned from every time I've stepped out is that he never leaves us out to dry. So that's my story. It's how I've got to where I am. You've heard now that I've been near death, have flatlined on a hospital table after being hit by a car. And the Lord saved me. He brought me back to life and gave me a new chance at doing things. And he was whispering to me the whole time, I know the plans I have for you, Ethan, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. 
You've heard the story about how I left school, traveled all around the world, saw poverty for the first time. The Lord rewarded me with a chance to come back to school, study hard, and make a difference in people's lives. It's like he was saying to me the whole time, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And now you've heard the last story, how I stepped out in faith and the Lord rewarded me with, with what I said I would be okay with never having. So I would, I would hope that by hearing my short story and in my short 23 years how the Lord has worked, that each of you would be comfortable stepping out in faith and saying, Lord, wherever you call me, I will answer. Even if there's no reward, I will still go and I will still follow you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.